but worship is good. Amen. It is good to be here together. It is good to see all of you. And uh, I don't know about you, but the sun is shining. It's not snowing. Uh, We're not even close to freezing. Uh, This is a good day. (laughs) <laughs> right? This is a good day, and uh, I, uh, it's just exciting to be here. Well, uh, I brought a coin with me here today. Uh, it's just a regular quarter, you know, so nothing, nothing particularly special. Uh, but I brought this coin here today because, uh, as we all know, this is just a little bit of money, right? This is what we use it for. We typically use this as currency, but we also use, sometimes use coins for a different reason. And a lot of you are going to know what I, when I say this right away because we, this is just normal part of our culture. It's called the coin toss or the coin flip. We sometimes use a coin to make decisions between two things, don't we? Not all the time. I don't do it often. But my guess is you've probably done this. And we do things like at the beginning of a football game, right? Then they, what do they do? They toss a coin. They flip a coin to see what, to see what team is going to get the ball first, which team is going to kick off first. Uh, if you've ever had an argument in your family on where to go to eat, I'm sure you guys are strong Christians, and so you never argue in your family, right? And that's perfect. That's so wonderful. But if you did, right, then maybe you would decide between two places with a coin flip, right? And say, well, heads or tails, this is where we go, Right? Or, or whatever the case is, but we sometimes use a coin when we're stuck between two potential options that kind of seem to go in different directions. Well, the reason I bring this up is because today's story about Jesus, Jesus was given a coin flip opportunity. He was given a coin toss. No, they didn't. Nobody handed him a coin per se, but a proverbial coin flip, a decision between two things. And so we're going to wrap up our series that we've been in today. We're going we're to kind of land the plane on this series, Chosen, Changed, Courageous. This is a series that we've been in for several weeks. You guys know this. Now, what we've been doing is we've been learning about stories about Jesus that teach us that we are chosen by God, to be loved by God. And because we're chosen, he calls us and wants us to change and to be changed, to be free and to be forgiven for our sins. And as a result of that power that we receive when our sins are forgiven and when he comes into our life, what happens then is that we become bold, we become strong, we become courageous to live the kind of life that God calls us and wants us to live. And so today is no different. We're going to get into a story that, to be honest, is one of the most powerful ones in Scripture. One of the most powerful things that we see Jesus does in his life. And what you're going to see is it's powerful not because of just his words, but his actions. And so when we get into it, we'll, we'll do that. But before we get into it, I want to say welcome one more time. The worship team has gotten to welcome you, and, and we've gotten to do some other things. Nick got to welcome you, Pastor Nick did. But I wanted to welcome you and just say thank you for being here. Whether you're in the room or whether you're joining us online, thank you for joining us here today. We're just, we're just glad you're here. And we want you to know that Northridge Church is a safe place, no matter where you are in your journey with God. And even if, and you might be saying, well, that's all well and good, but I'm not even sure if I believe in God yet. That's still cool. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Because this is a great place, a safe place for you 
to ask the questions you have about God, about faith, about the Bible. We look forward to those questions. We want you to ask those questions. And so this is a safe place. We're glad that you're here. So before we get into anything else, let's just jump into the story. So we're going to be in John chapter 8. So if you like to follow along on your phone, on a Bible app, or in your own Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start with verse 1. Powerful story. Here we go. So Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Powerful story. But I have a hard question for you this morning. And that question is this. Out of the people that are in this story... Who do you identify with most? Who do you identify with most in the story? Which person are you kind of drawn to in, in, in what is, is going on in this story? It's a hard question because it gets immediately personal, doesn't it? It gets immediately personal when we ask, who do you identify with most? Maybe you're here this morning, and if you're going to be really honest with yourself and with God, the person you identify with most in this story is the woman. The woman in the story. Maybe, just, I just want you to just pause for a moment and imagine how she must have felt in this moment. Angry. Angry at the Pharisees for dragging her out into public to shame her. Angry at herself for living this kind of life and getting her into this position. Scared. She figured that she had a pretty good chance of losing her life at this point. Being executed. That's what stoning was. You literally threw stones until they died. Pretty brutal execution. Maybe she was just full of shame at her sin being publicly displayed in front of everybody. I remember when I was in college, um, I was part of a traveling music team. 
And, uh, and we would travel around and we'd go to different churches and camps. And throughout the college year, we would travel on the weekends. And in the summer, we traveled all summer for the college. So I was never, like, we were, we were back at the campus maybe once or twice a summer uh, for maybe one or two days to kind of have a break and have a rest. And so I was traveling on this team, and it was made up of, like, uh, I think there were eight of us, guys and gals, college gals and, and guys. And uh, I think there were eight of us. And the problem with this team was it was somewhat dysfunctional. Anybody ever worked on a dysfunctional team? Some of you are like, I'm working on a dysfunctional team right now. <laughs> Have you ever been to my workplace? <laughs> All right, I hear you. This, this team, I can just honestly say, it was not a good, it's not something that I'm proud of, but this team was dysfunctional. And one of the main reasons it was dysfunctional was because there were two people that had been dating that stopped dating. Oh, there it was. I heard it. That was audible. That was like, oh, <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> right? And they stopped dating. And so, as a result, they just didn't treat each other well. Honestly, it was bad. It was a bad break. It wasn't one of those that you're like kind of civil and like, yeah, let's agree to part ways. No, it was like. Rah. And the problem was that it dragged the rest of the team into it. And so, I was kind of on one side. There was these two guys on the team that I was really close to. One of them was actually my roommate in college. And then the other guy I was just close friends with. And so I was really close with them. And it wasn't that I wasn't friends with the other five over here. I was. I was actually good friends with them. I, I was just really close with these guys. And so I felt like, even though I was not, I didn't take sides in the feud, I felt like I was kind of caught in the middle. But I had a close relationship with these two guys. And then the guys and the gals on the rest of the team, the other five, they were kind of took this side of the feud. Well, it all boiled over when we got to this point in the summer where we'd been traveling together. We'd been, we're, we're together. On, I'm telling you, on this team, we're together all the time. Really great for a dysfunctional team. <laughs> that summer was awesome. But really what happened is we, we got a, a couple of days where we got to come back to campus and just rest before we were going to be sent back out to another state, you know, go over to New York State or whatever, wherever we were headed. I don't know. And we had this break, and so there's a, there was an adult that lived on campus and was kind of one of the guys that was one of the leaders on campus, and, and he invited me and these other two guys over to his house to have dinner and just hang out at his pool and things like that. He didn't invite the other five of our team because he knew the feud was going on, and he knew we needed a break, basically. Well, because the rest of the other team was not invited, it was wrong for us to accept the invite, but we did. The three of us did. We just wanted to be away from the other team. Again, I was kind of caught in the middle. I felt pretty bad about it, but I was like, oh, I'll go with you guys. And we went. But the problem with it was that in going, we also had to be deceitful about what we were doing that evening. Right? And to be honest, to this day, I can't remember if we outright lied to them or if we just hid the truth. And just for the record... <laughs> so that we're very clear, not telling the whole truth or directly lying, that's still called lying. Just in case my children, if they're listening, just so that we're clear. My children, thank you. <laughs> we lied about it to our team. Well, what happened is inevitably... That night or sometime the next day, they found out. 
And so one of the guys in this other group of five that I was closest to, he came to me, of course, because he felt like I was the one in the middle here, and he confronted me to my face, and he said, what would you do last night? The gig was up. And I can tell you, the reason I tell this story is because I still remember to this day the incredible shame that I felt looking my friend in the eyes as he called my sin out. He called me out on my sin. And it reminds me of what this woman may have been feeling. And that was just me in front of one person. I remember feeling offended and shamed and angry and frustrated and bitter, not just at him, but at myself and the whole situation that I gave in to sin. I remember to this day how it felt. Imagine what this woman would have felt in this moment that she was so ashamed at being caught in her sin. And she was paraded in front of everybody. I mean, imagine the intensity and the weight. And so what I have, the, the question I have for you is, are you here today and maybe you identify most with the woman's story? That secretly you're here and you're carrying shame from your past sin or your past mistakes. Maybe nobody else knows. Maybe you're the only one that knows that you've been caring. Maybe, maybe you're actually before the woman's story, before the story that I just told when I was in college, where your sin has not been discovered yet and you're sitting here fearful, scared that somebody's going to find out. Maybe you're here and there's a weight on you, an invisible weight that only you know. And maybe you're sitting here and you're just scared that nobody calls it out because it would be too painful to release that to anybody, let alone to God. Are you here and you identify with the woman's story? If you're here and you're carrying an immense amount of shame and weight. Maybe it's secrets. I just want to remind you, just like Jesus was there for the woman, Jesus is there for you. He's willing to stand with you. He's for you. He's always been for you. You realize that Jesus will go to bat for you. He already is going to bat for you. He's there for you. He's with you. And he wants to help carry and take that shame from you. Will you let him? Will you let him? But maybe you're here, and if you were going to be really honest, the woman's story doesn't, doesn't you don't identify with that a whole lot. Maybe you kind of you've dealt with your sin, you've dealt with shame. Uh, you don't you don't have secrets, and you don't have things that you feel like you're scared you're going to get caught in. And and so maybe you're here, and maybe the the people that you identify most with in this story are the Pharisees. 
Now, I know that this is quite a leap, right? Most of us are not going to be like, yeah, that's me. I want to throw rocks at people. You know, I want to execute people. I, I, I want to be really mean and evil like the Pharisees. We're not going to automatically, I don't, I don't think that our heart just naturally goes and be like, yeah, Pharisees, that's me. I don't think that I have anybody in the room here today. I don't think there's anybody here that is like, I want to execute people. I want to, I want to call people out for their sin. Like, that's my favorite thing to do. I just, I don't think so. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I guess what I'm asking here is, maybe there are some of us in here who if we were to be honest, we would say we're very quick to pass judgment on people rather than offer forgiveness. If we were going to be honest, it might be easier for us to call somebody else's sin out than recognize our own. Maybe it's just me, but I, I will be the first in the room to admit. I know I have the microphone, so I, <laughs> I have the privilege, right? But I'll be the first to admit that there are times, moments, usually it's just in my head. I don't usually go to verbal, but there are times in my life where I judge fairly quickly and I forget about my own sin. It's true. Maybe we're here and we maybe identify with the Pharisees a little bit. And, and understand that what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus is they were trying to trap him. right? They, they gave him a coin flip. And the reason they gave him a coin flip is the coin that they handed to him, again, proverbially, the coin that they handed to him was to force him to make a choice between one side or the other, heads or tails. Jesus has to choose because we only gave him two options. He can either condemn the woman or he can forgive the woman. But either way, this is what they knew, either way, we've got him. It doesn't matter whether the, the coin comes up heads or tails. It doesn't matter what he chooses. Jesus loses no matter which one he chooses. See, they were trapping him. Here, here's, what, here's what they were doing. See, if Jesus responded to their question by condemning the woman, which is what Old Testament law said should happen, by the way, Mosaic law, Moses' law, right? It, according to that, she should be killed for her sin, right? If Jesus confirms that and condones punishment, the capital death penalty, for her, if Jesus does that, then the Pharisees knew immediately they could go to the Roman authorities and blame Jesus for trying to execute punishment that was only a Roman authority thing to do. Jesus would have been arrested, perhaps even executed for this crime. The Pharisees knew that. But if Jesus decided to forgive the woman, then it would be obvious the Pharisees could call him out in front of the crowd of people and say, you are going against the Old Testament. You are going against Moses' law. That's a huge offense. And then the people would call for Jesus' head. So you see the Pharisees are trying to trap him. 
And let's be really clear here. The Pharisees cared nothing about justice or love in this case. At first glance, it looks like the Pharisees cared about justice, doesn't it? They dragged this woman. She was caught in the act of sin. It was not a question. She was in the act of sin of adultery. And so they drag her out in front of everybody. So it's not a question. And so it looks like the Pharisees are looking for justice, but they're not. They didn't care about justice or love. Let me, let me, let me help us understand this, okay? If the Pharisees wanted justice... There were two things that they didn't have to do and one thing, actually one thing that they didn't have to do and one thing that they did. The thing that they didn't have to do is they did not, there's nothing in the law that required that the Pharisees or anybody punish a person publicly and use that to shame them. There was nothing in the law about that. They could have done this privately. They could have done, taken care of this problem, uh, you know, in the confines of nobody else had to know. But they didn't. Why? Because they wanted to trap Jesus. They were using this woman's sin against her to trap Jesus. But then the law also says that the man should have been there. That the man should have been punished along with this sin because of his sin. It wasn't just the woman's sin. It was the man as well. Where's the man in the story? He's not there. Do you know why? Because the Pharisees couldn't care less about justice. All they wanted to do was get rid of Jesus. And they clearly didn't care about love. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the crowd. They didn't care about Jesus. That's obvious. See, what the Pharisees were doing is the Pharisees were threatened by the fact that Jesus wanted them to change their life. They were threatened by the fact that Jesus is saying, I am bringing a whole new way of life. We're not going to have to sacrifice animals anymore. We're not going to have to do this. What, what matters is who you really are in your heart, in your soul. And we, all these traditions and things that we're walking through, we don't have to worry about all of that stuff anymore because I am now the fulfillment of the law. And he was changing everything. You know what happened? They're threatened by that. Let me just ask this question. How many of you are threatened by Jesus and by the change that he wants to do in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. It's threatening, isn't it? If somebody says, I want you to move, I want you to change jobs, I need you to go here, I need you to do this. How many of you are like, yes, sign me up. Where do I sign up? Let's go. No, there's a hundred questions that come along with it, right? Because it's a threat. And so I would ask, maybe do you identify with the Pharisees? Are we quick to judge? Are we more like the Pharisees than we'd like to admit? Parents, do you see other parents, or it, it, this is probably even if you're not a parent, in fact, maybe sometimes more so, when you see other parents not parenting or not challenging or not correcting their children, what is your immediate thought? I know sometimes what I thought. Control your children. I'm paying for my meal here. Ever had that thought? Ever said that to the people at your table? quick to judge. How many of you have 
had a problem with judging somebody online because of something that they posted. How many of you saw a person, a friend, a coworker post something about the Republicans and the conservatives and, and promoted a policy that was being presented and immediately your thought was, ooh, 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 unfriend, unlike. like." How many of you had a friend or, or a coworker post something about the Democrats and a liberal agenda or whatever and you're like, ooh, oh, make, sure, make a note not to hang out with them anymore. At the, at the minimum, ignored them. Distanced yourself from them. At the worst, berated them online in front of others. You see, we don't have stones, but we do have words. See, we don't have stones, but we do have social media. See, we don't have stones, but we do have thoughts and biases and racial prejudice. And You see, this story could be about anything, couldn't it? Any one of us. So maybe you're here and you don't identify with the woman most or the Pharisees most. And you're like, man, neither one of those fit. So who else is there? There's usually a group of people that we miss in this story. You know who they are? The crowd. The crowd of people. There's a huge crowd of people that were listening to Jesus teach when the Pharisees brought this woman in. Remember that? Tons of people there. Maybe you're here and you identify most with the people in the crowd. The people on the sidelines. The people just watching. And maybe the people in the crowd had an opinion one way or the other. She should be condemned or she should be forgiven. Maybe they had opinions. But we don't know why because they were on the sidelines. And maybe you're here today. And if you're going to be really honest, you can't identify with the woman's story. And you can't identify with the Pharisee story because in reality, you're kind of on the sidelines when it comes to your faith. Maybe you've been sitting in church, but not actually, you've never allowed the Holy Spirit, God's power, to invade you. Isn't that a fun thing to think about? That the Holy Spirit can invade you? Some of us, that scares us like crazy. And my question to you is, Sitting in church is not the thing, right? Now, attending service is not the thing. It's whether or not we have opened ourselves, allowed ourselves for the Holy Spirit, the power of God to rule and reign and invade our space, our mind, what we listen to, what we think, what we say, what we do, why we do it. Do you identify most with the crowd? We don't know anything about them because they were on the sidelines. They were just there. Is maybe God calling you out of the crowd? Calling you out of the comfort zone? 
So I want to turn the corner for a minute and, and kind of land the plane here. I want to talk about Jesus's two statements that he makes in this story. Very powerful. So I want to go back to the story, go back to verse 7. This is the moment when the Pharisees, remember Jesus, like they brought the woman and then Jesus is writing in the dust. By the way, just side note, does anybody want to know what he was writing in the dust? I do. Man, that's like, I know it's going to be really, I think, inappropriate for me to ask like that be the first question when I get to see Jesus, right? You know, in eternity in heaven. But like, I'm going to really, like, Jesus, no, I'm seriously curious. Like, were you drawing smiley faces? Were you writing the sins of the Pharisees? Like, I just want to know. <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't know what he was writing. We don't know what he's writing. We have no clue what he was writing. But Jesus is just writing in the dust. I think he was trying to spare the Pharisees the embarrassment of what he was about to say. Seriously, you don't want to go there. You don't want to, Jesus, we need an answer. Oh, man, you went there. Okay. And Jesus stops writing in the dust and he stands up. And this is what he says. He says, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That is like the mic drop moment in history. With one statement, what Jesus does is he reminds everybody in the space just so that we're clear, yes, the woman's sin is on display, but just so that we're clear, everybody else here is not without sin. So if you think you're better than anybody else, reminder, we all have sinned. We all fall short of the standard of God. With one statement, Jesus says, Sure. Whoever has never made a mistake, whoever's never messed up, you be the one to throw the first stone. And what's really cool, have you, I don't know if you've caught this, and maybe you already knew where I was going with this, but do you realize that the one who is speaking is the only one in the place, in the temple, on the planet, in the universe, who is actually has the authority to throw the first stone? You realize that? He's the only one there. The one who's speaking has the only authority to actually throw the first stone. Why? Because by his own statement, he's the only one who never sinned. So if anybody's going to throw the first stone, the only one that's possible is Jesus in this moment. And I want us to catch something. This is really important. If you catch nothing else... Make sure we catch this. I think it would be wise for us as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, I think it would be wise for us to not be quite so eager to throw stones at people for their sin when the one who had every opportunity and authority to do it chose not to. hope we catch that. Can we be less eager to throw stones 
when the one who had the authority to throw this first stone chose not to do it. As the famous philosopher Dallas Willard once said, it is hard to be right and not hurt anyone with it. Oh, that's good. If there's anything that's relevant in these days and after the year that we've just been through, that's it. He didn't say it's impossible, you can't do it. He just says it's hard. It's really hard to be right and not hurt someone with it. But then there's a second statement, right? At the very end of the story, Jesus calls everybody out, and what happens? Do you remember what it said in the story? Everybody just started to kind of fade away from the oldest to the youngest. Did you notice that? From the oldest to the youngest, all the accusers just kind of left. You know why? Because they couldn't stand to be in the presence of Jesus because he called them out, and he says, man, this same thing that I'm about to offer to the woman, I'm willing to offer to you, to the Pharisees, but they didn't want it. You catch that? The Pharisees didn't want it. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want to be changed by Jesus. They wanted their power and their status and their wealth, and that was being threatened, and so they left and figured out a different way that they could take Jesus out. So they all left, and it's Jesus and the woman and the crowd. And this is what happens. Verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, clearly, Jesus does two things with this statement. It's obvious, the first part, he forgives the woman. Doesn't he? Jesus forgives the woman of her sin in that moment. Neither do I, he said, neither do I condemn you, and then the second thing that he does, very clear, is he says five words, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, I want to be really clear here. I have used that phrase. I haven't used this phrase, but I've heard many people use this phrase. I've heard other pastors use this phrase as a bludgeoning tool, as a club, to remind everybody in their church, to remind everybody within their voice, to remind everybody and help them understand. And I've seen arguments on this online. I know, uh, I'm a weird pastor, right? I, 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 see, I see arguments about Scripture. <laughs> How many of you get involved in those? Woo, let's argue theology. I do. I, I see that stuff. And I see a lot of arguments about this. And, and usually the argument is, yeah, but Jesus said, don't sin anymore. And I think what we do is we say, uh, Jesus could either forgive her or condemn her sin. And what Jesus does and what we have to understand is this is not a threat by Jesus. This is not a threat by Jesus. This is also not, by the way, this is not a command by Jesus for her to never mess up again, to be perfect here on out. You realize that Jesus is not saying to her, now, don't ever sin again, always be perfect, don't mess up, or else I'm coming for you. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Do you know what Jesus is doing? 
Jesus is inviting her into a life that is free from sin and free from shame. He's inviting her into a life of purpose, of joy, of peace that she's never known before. She is in, he is inviting her into a life where she does not need to seek purpose and, and pleasure and, and comfort in the arms of a man. That's what she was doing, right? That's why she got into the sin. She thought that another man could fulfill her dreams. And Jesus is inviting her into an experience with life where she didn't have to do that anymore. Where sin didn't have to be a part of her existence anymore. Where shame, like she had just felt, was not a part of her life. Jesus is inviting her into an amazing life. And guess what? Jesus invites you into the same. So I'll leave you with this. Sometimes life gives us a coin toss doesn't it? Have you ever been in a situation where you had like two options and you felt like both of them were bad? Life has a way of doing that. Shoving you into a position where really you can make a choice, but neither one are good. And what I want to remind us and encourage us with today is that when Jesus was given the proverbial coin that day in that story, when Jesus was given that coin that day and the Pharisees thought, man, heads or tails, Jesus, heads or tails, Jesus, when they did that to him, it seemed to the Pharisees that Jesus had only two options. And you know what Jesus did with the coin? He chucked it. (laughs) He threw it. He got rid of it and he said, the coin, I don't care if you say it's heads or tails. I'm going to show you a third way and it's the perfect combination of this coin. It's the perfect love and justice together. I can both not condemn her and forgive her and also call her out for and away from her sin. I can do both. So, yeah. Let all of you, without sin, throw the first stone. Oh, you're gone? See you later. Okay, now it's just you and me. And he offers amazing life to her and says, it's not as simple as heads and tails. It's about me. It's about me. And the question I have for you today regardless of who you identify with in the story, what is your answer to Jesus? His invitation is there for you to not be condemned, to be forgiven, but to go and sin no more. What is your response? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here in this space and in this moment. Lord, for whoever is in the room that may identify most with the woman in this story, 
If there's anyone in here who is secretly carrying a massive weight of load of sin and shame and mistakes and failures, in a word, they just, they're sitting here and nobody would know it. We can't see it in their body language or on their face, but they're living in hopelessness, in fear of being found out in shame for mistakes that they made, but that you have either forgiven or want to forgive, God, would you remind them that you are there? You love them. You've always loved them. You will always love them. Remind them, God, that they all they have to do is release that shame, release that sin, release it to you. Let you take it. Let you carry it so that they don't have to secretly be burdened and squashed and slammed by the weight of their sin and their shame anymore. They don't have to do that, that you wanna take it. You wanna offer forgiveness. You wanna say, neither do I condemn you. You can move forward, you can step out of it. May you remind people here today, if that is where anybody is at today in this room or online, may you free them from the condemnation of sin. If there's anybody here who if they were gonna be really honest, maybe they just realized that for the first time today that they are pretty fast, they are pretty quick to make judgments about people around them. Jesus, I pray that you would remind them that even though you had the only authority to throw the first stone, you chose not to. Remind them that just like for the woman, you are there for them. You are calling them. You didn't just call the woman to be not condemned and to live without sin anymore. You actually invited the Pharisees to do that. They just didn't want anything to do with it. They walked away. God, I pray that nobody in this room, nobody online that is listening would walk away from you, that they would lean in to you and your spirit. Maybe there are a few of us in here who when it comes to your faith, when it comes to their faith in you and their belief in you, they've been on the sidelines. They've been riding the bench most of their life in their faith. They believe in you. They've been going to church sometimes, but they've never truly for them, for themselves made their decision to allow you completely in for your power to rule their life their thoughts, their words, their decisions. They've been on the sidelines, so to speak, in their faith. I pray that you would help them to realize that all they need to do is agree to get off the bench, to get in the game, to leave the crowd and step into a life where they walk with you, follow you, live for you. Move us, challenge us, shake us, Invade our space, we pray. We need you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.